and welcome to the Allegory Story Podcast. My name is Melanie Nevis. And I'm Tegan Moline. Sorry, I didn't realize you were drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad. That was a lot. <laughs> um, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, we are going to be continuing our exploration of Arthurian legends today, and we are going to focus a little bit more on... Lancelot and Guinevere, who the great uh, a lot of people story what the great love story the great love story. A lot of people idolize it. A lot of people say adultery is bad. Um, <laughs> Depends on who I you don't have, know. I guess um, so. Guinevere and Lancelot, and I kind of want to go into Guinevere first. And again, it's like my the historical part of my brain turns on because when you try and learn anything about Guinevere you have to find stuff about Arthur which we covered but you know with all of this stuff again it kind of has to be said um Guinevere is just mentioned in documents and oral oral traditions where it directly affects Arthur or his realm so she doesn't exist without Arthur even though her love story is with Lancelot and we know that Arthur is really hard to trace and like the reason for that we've kind of touched upon it there's really meager documentation in the dark ages very few records were kept very few survived those that did survive were often translations which were copies of copies which may have been prone to human error when they were being transcribed and copied and translated so like there's an archaeologist who said we might have a 12th century copy of a 10th century compilation, which includes annals written down in the 5th century or a 13th century copy of a poem composed orally in the 6th century, but not written down before the 9th century. And that is kind of what we're looking at. So like, who the hell knows what we're looking at? Do you know that <laughs> meme of the blonde lady trying to do math? That's, <laughs> that is so my brain at this moment. Like, holy smokes. But yeah, I get, I get what you're and, saying, though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Arthur and Queen Guinevere had a lot of powerful admirers, including Edward III of England, who actually flirted with the idea of establishing his own Knights of the Round Table, oh, and King Henry VII, who created a fictional Round Table tapestry, which is still hung in Winchester in England. And like, you know, in Winchester, there's also like just a massive Round Table with all the knights' names on it. Yeah. Um. No one really took the quest for finding Arthur or like a a real version of Arthur seriously until about the 20th century. We're not here to talk about Arthur, but you can't talk about Guinevere without talking about Arthur. So Guinevere is the Queen of Britain, wife of King Arthur, lover of Sir Lancelot. Um, And this was kind of, it became known in its more standard form with Sir Thomas Mallory's Le Martyr in 1469. That's really where like all of the nitty gritty details that we know uh, Mm -hmm. became solidified. She does first appear in Joffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain in 1136. But she's kind of just there, right? Like there's no real plot for her yet. Well, a little bit. so she she's Arthur's wife who's abducted by his nephew, Mordred, must be rescued by Arthur, mm-hmm. but her character is still undeveloped. Mm-hmm. And then in Chrétien de Troyes, he kind of makes her central to the plot of his Lancelot. 
um, or Percival, or the Knight of the Cart. Lots of different names for the same thing. So, okay, just side note, but yeah, in kind of preparation for the fact that we're doing this this Camelot, we're doing this whole conversation around Arthurian legends, and and also the yeah. fact that I'm preparing to take a big French test at the beginning of December. Uh, Michael and I started yeah. watching the French series Camelot, which is oh. it, it, it's basically. Do you know it? No, but like if it follows, like Percival follows the story of Lancelot because he's like Lancelot's ally. So I'm assuming if if like this story, this French version follows, like it's still going to follow the same story. Yeah, of. it does. It does very loosely. It's a com- yeah. first of all, you should know it's a comedy, so it's not like it's not like <laughs> historic. Like you know, it's not done in this like mythical way. It's kind of done in a very yeah. cute French humor kind of way, but. But every time we were watching it, Michael was like, oh, that's Percival. And I'm like, who's that? Like, who's that? You know what I mean? So now I, I didn't yeah. realize they were con- he was connected to Lancelot. So anyways, just, a, just. Yeah, yeah. He's just an ally of Lancelot. Ah, so okay. um, if you pick up a version of the story that's called Percival, it kind of covers the same sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. The same very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, sorry. You're saying. Um, Yeah. The the stories around Guinevere and Lancelot really became solidified with Chrétien de Troyes. Okay. And he's the one that made it a central plot. This is wild. And like their love story became a central plot. <sighs> so it was after that point that the writers after Chrétien developed the Arthur Guinevere Lancelot plot through the most complete version in Mallory's work, which is the one that we refer to today. It's the one that we we know. So over time, this means that we see Guinevere depicted as a lot of different things. She is like duplicitous and treacherous. She's a seducer. And then in other versions, she's also an honest, loving wife who's trapped in circumstances beyond her control. Hmm. And there's no real attempt to define her. She is, you know, frequently abducted and then rescued, which can almost be seen as this medieval uh, damsel in distress figure. Mm -hmm. And then modern day scholars claim that she may have been a historical figure who is mythologized after her death as a Celtic Persephone or that she represents the sovereignty of Britain. Others claim she symbolizes the goddess Sophia or wisdom and so that goes into Cathar belief because the female aspect of God for Cathars was named Sophia and was called wisdom. So some people see Guinevere as that. Oh, Needless boy. to say, there's no consensus. Okay. <laughs> All of this stuff basically just highlights the elusive nature of Guinevere and the fact that she's really difficult to define. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I had no idea that Guinevere was connected to the Cathar. Oh my gosh. Funnily enough, in the last episode, we were talking about uh, prophets who go mm-hmm. through something devastating and they end up, you know, being able, becoming prophets from that. And when I was talking about that, one of the people I was thinking of is the the woman who wrote the Sophia Code. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Which I didn't realize was directly connected to the Cathar, though I realize that it's connected Mm -hmm. to France here and it's connected to a lot of mythologies that like circulate in in the south of France here. Um, 
but yeah, that's one of the examples I was thinking of in my head, actually. So that's just kind of funny and interesting. Hey, you're clairvoyant, right? Oh, Isn't that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun when it shines on through like that. <laughs> um, so let's go into Jeffrey of Monmouth's version um, because he wrote the history of the kings of Britain, mm-hmm. which we've talked about several times. Um, this is a translated ancient source from the British language, which would have been like Welsh, Breton, or Cornish. And his account represents the earliest known written mention of Guinevere. And he calls her Gwenhuvara from a Welsh name, Gwenhuivar. Mm. Uh, and the name appears in earlier Welsh folklore, folklore that references a woman of bad reputation. Oh. <laughs> interesting yeah yeah is that where her so her trouble is just already in the inception of her character interesting yeah it's in the name okay it's in the name oh wow so what this early Gwenhuivar 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 I'm so sorry that's that's unclear I don't know (laughs) we like really love the Welsh people in language and we don't want to butcher and it's very hard to (laughs) The, we are a bit overwhelmed by the names, spellings, I gotta be honest. Or at least I am. I don't know. Yeah. You're doing pretty good. I, I am too. Okay. I am too. <laughs> um, but in Joffrey's work, she is just Arthur's queen, a ward of the Lord of Cador of Cornwall. She's a great mm. beauty of Roman descent. Yes. And when Arthur leaves Britain to wage war on the continent, he leaves Guinevere in the care of his nephew, Mordred, who seduces her and usurps the throne. And Arthur returns to rescue his queen and kingdom. Guinevere is feeling super guilty about what happens or what had happened and kind of flees the kingdom and enters a nunnery. Mordred is killed in battle. Arthur is mortally wounded and taken away to the Isle of Avalon. That's a really short and condensed version of what happens. You're very good at um, in, in this version of the story. No, but like there's a lot of really interesting elements and and there's so many versions that deviate slightly here and there. Yeah. That's that's kind of what happens. In some stories, Guinevere isn't seduced by Mordred, but like she has no choice but to go with him and is essentially taken captive by him. Doesn't that and make is, like, more sense to do this? Given the Yeah, in others in others like he she is seduced because she never really loved Arthur in the first place. So, like, it's hard to to know, right? Mm-hmm. But Jeffrey's writing doesn't provide too many details of Guinevere's infidelity. What he says is that a message was brought to Arthur that his nephew Mordred, unto whom he had committed the charge of Britain, had tyrannously and traitorously set the crown of the kingdom upon his own head and had linked himself in unhallowed union with Guinevere, the queen in despite of her former marriage mm-hmm. in later writings Guinevere is complicit in Mordred's coup that's kind of the minority view like most do say that she was just abducted and she didn't have a choice and in usurping the throne was literally Mordred putting Arthur's crown because he wouldn't travel with it on his head and then just like calling himself king so that is the earliest mention of Guinevere there really aren't many details there mm-hmm. There aren't details as to whether 
she was abducted or she went willingly. There's no details. Just goes to show you. He's linked in an unhallowed union, but like you don't know for certain whether or not that was consensual or like to the degree of which a sexual encounter occurred. It's funny because in these stories, we see a lot of women being used to turn the plot, but like, that's just what that's, that's basically all that they are. You know what I mean? It's just to, to, yeah. to, to add a, uh, an, a, a certain level of strife into the plot. Let's throw a chicken there. Yeah, exactly. And it's her fault. And <laughs> and you'll notice, like, there's no mention of Lancelot yeah. in yeah, this yeah, story. Yeah. That's very interesting. So that doesn't come until Chrétien de Troyes. And Marie de France. And when is that? That when is that exactly? Like not exactly, but like. Okay, so um, Jeffrey's version was written in 1136. Chrétien was written in 1170. So quite later. So still in the 12th century. But towards the but end, later yeah. on in the 12th century, yeah. Okay. And Chrétien de Troyes says, like before he actually starts the story, if you you can even find his writings online, but before he even starts the story, he basically says that he does not choose this subject. His patroness, the Countess, did. Ah. So the Countess was Marie de Champagne of France, Mm -hmm. and Marie was the daughter of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Louis VII Mm -hmm. of France during the early 12th century. Okay. Because that's when this whole thing is happening right so with the power and influence that she gained through being a queen of two different countries during her lifetime because her husband at one point one of her husbands died she remarries so she during her lifetime is queen of england and of france that's so cool eleanor yeah eleanor is super powerful and she's able to direct the artistic works that were being written in her court basically she's like this is the sort of stuff that i want to see in here and people would cater to Mm -hmm. that she was really fond of any works of traveling minstrels or troubadours. Um, so like early musicals, you know? Um, Girls have always they... had the thing for uh, the rock star. <laughs> as, as far back as. Girls just like a good story. Yeah. And a good song. So troubadours and, and traveling minstrels would often tell these stories, but they – would often romanticize and glorify women and celebrate their beauties and charms. And Mm -hmm. through patronizing these arts, Eleanor, there's an argument that can be made that she was almost single-handedly responsible for the creation of medieval romance. Mm -hmm. And Marie, her daughter, she, she really followed her mother's example because she had her own legion of writers supporting courtly writers, supporting this desire for artwork in Champagne and Chrétien was writer the one of the writers and the king of the cart is the story in which the romance and the relationship between Guinevere and Lancelot is first described this is so interesting the whole time I'm kind of sitting here thinking like it's my unproven feeling that French actually created romantic love and um, <laughs> however, I wasn't expecting it to be a French woman. <laughs> I was thinking it was a yeah. male concept, but maybe not. And also, like, actually, if, if she is credited with bringing romantic medieval love into these stories, like she's actually mm-hmm. shifted culture. I think king, kings and queens, like kings at least, always want to 
influence something that's going to shape the world to come. And she actually did that, which kind of speaks to her power level, which is quite cool. Well, I also think it probably speaks to this affair as well, right? Mm -hmm. This whole concept of someone being not necessarily unhappy in their marriage. You know, in a lot of stories, Guinevere does care about Arthur, but she doesn't love him. Mm -hmm. And you think of how royal marriages are formed, and it kind of makes sense then that you have this woman who's fantasizing about this other love coming out of nowhere mm-hmm. and sweeping her off her feet and this this crazy romance ensues right yeah i it's interesting cuz i i had seen a video online uh last week that was actually talking about the fact that up until a certain point in time like romantic love didn't even exist in like the, the human concept and it was like a concept created through literature once people could be comfortable enough to even embrace that idea but you know like historically it wasn't always there it wasn't it was never really a, a marriage oh so, so, sorry this person was talking about marriage and the idea of a marriage being a romantic union just like didn't exist up until mm-hmm. much later in our history so i feel like that totally aligns yeah. with what you're saying right now so this story that Chrétien de Troyes wrote. It's long. You can find it online. It's like 85 pages, maybe when it's all typed out. It's a very long-winded tale. Um, Do you want the super short version or just like a longer short version? (laughs) I'm going to say the longer short version if it's okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. I like a good nuance. Okay, so the story begins during the Feast of Assumption and – this in Christianity commemorates the belief of, of Mary, mother of Jesus. When she dies, her body is assumed into heaven to be re- reunited with her soul mm-hmm. instead of going through the natural process of physical decay upon death. Mm-hmm. So it's super celebratory. And King Arthur has all of his knights around and a bunch of tournaments are taking place. And there's feasts and knights from other kingdoms are there as well. Um, so there's this knight there whose name is Meliagon, who is the son of a faraway king. And he tells Arthur, he's the son of a faraway king in Gore. And he tells Arthur that hundreds of Arthur's citizens, like citizens of his kingdom, are imprisoned in Gore. And if Arthur wants to release these further away okay okay <laughs> not in right. arthur's kingdom right. it's part of it's his kingdom it's like meliagon's kingdom okay okay sorry 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 all right so he tells arthur that you know a bunch of his his citizens within the arthur arthurian kingdom have basically been taken over to gore they're imprisoned and if arthur wants to release these prisoners then he'll have to bring his most valiant knight to fight him in gore And the knight must also be escorted by Queen Guinevere. Okay. So a lot of courtly romances of this time have a, quote unquote, a bad knight to hold the queen belonging to the enemy king hostage. So it's a very common tale. Um, So Arthur is the enemy king of Meliagon, and Meliagon wants to hold Guinevere hostage. He just, he wants the queen. Remember, Guinevere is this very beautiful woman and um, is attracting attention wherever she goes. So one of Arthur's knights needs to come forward 
And if Meliagon wins, he gets Guinevere and gets to keep all of the citizens that are held prisoner. Scary. It is scary for her. Yeah. In a lot of these stories, you know, Arthur is actually not, he is the main character, but he's not as cool and suave as as the knights. The other knights, as Merlin, even as Guinevere. Guinevere is really cool. She does play this, this damsel in distress, sort of, but like is also able to fight her own battles sometimes in mm. certain versions of the story. Like she's not just a simple damsel in distri- mm. distress in a lot of versions. Arthur's kind of like a passive oh. character in these later adaptations, isn't he? Where the focus tends kind to of. be more like towards the knights and what happens. Yeah, like it's it is all central centered around Arthur and Camelot and his kingdom, but like the other stories become main players really, mm-hmm. and like it's the other stories that become a lot more famous in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's so true. So one of Arthur's knights named Sir Kay threatens to leave Arthur's court unless he's allowed to fight Meliagon. And so Kay and Guinevere leave Arthur's kingdom to follow Meliagon and fight and hopefully win. But a lot of knights don't actually think that this is a great idea. They don't really hold the highest opinion of Kay, particular Gwen, um, who decides to follow behind far enough away so that no one realizes they're being followed. And his thought process is if Kay messes up, then he can step in, step in to protect the queen. Now, I'm going to say uh, Gawain, probably, instead of, like, a lot of people say Gawain. Mm-hmm. I think at mm-hmm. the time that this was written, it would have been pronounced Gawain. And this name is also a precursor to what we now know as Gavin. Oh, boy. So Gawain just makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's how I'm going to say it. Okay. Okay, just like in case anyone's like, she's saying it wrong. We don't know. We're saying a lot of things wrong, but we're trying. (laughs) We're trying. We feel bad about it, but. (laughs) No, but I think like when the time, during the time this this was written, like it probably would have been pronounced Gawain Mm -hmm. instead of Gawain. Mm -hmm. So anyway, along the way, Gawain meets an unknown knight and somehow through the grapevine, basically Lancelot or like an unknown knight, let's say, sorry, this unknown knight who we know is going to be Lancelot, but (laughs) an unknown knight appears and we don't know anything about him. We don't know how he has heard of the queen being taken. Like that's never really explained, but we know that he's riding as hard as he can to get to Gore. And he rides so hard that he kills his horse. Oh my gosh. And yeah, so his horse is dead and Gowan meets him along the road. Gowan's on a horse and he's just like, oh, there's not room for you on this horse. Like two knights on a horse? No. And so a pillory cart comes by. Now, a pillory cart is where they would basically parade prisoners around if they were going to their execution. So people that were in pillory carts were criminals and they would be ridiculed in there because they've lost all honor. For Lancelot to actually step into this pillory cart, he knows he's going to lose his honor. He's going to be ostracized under the very code of knighthood Mm -hmm. that requires him to make this sacrifice. And he hesitates for two seconds before jumping in. And his jumping in causes great shame and raises a lot of confusion with those that he encounters along the way. But he's traveling there with Gowan 
and like gowns alongside on his horse. Mm -hmm. And the reason he actually even got into the pillory cart is because the dwarf driver was just like, yeah, I know about your queen's whereabouts, but like you got to get into the cart. So like he kind of didn't have a choice. He's already willing to go to bat. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We learn that it's Lancelot du Lac and they are helped by numerous peoples, but he also encounters a lot of hostile and arrogant knights along the way. And he's constantly defending his character. And eventually they take different routes to Gore. So Gowan takes this like bridge over water and Lancelot chooses a much faster, but much more dangerous road of the sword bridge, which is literally like a large sword blade or something like that. Mm. And he arrives in Gore to discover that Guinevere is angry with him. She doesn't tell him why. And he also discovers that the ruler of that kingdom, so Meliagon's father, who is King Badmagu, which is just a funny name, um, is the complete opposite of his jerk son and didn't realize that this stuff has been taking place and is just like yeah for sure you know we can totally free the prisoners like no yeah you can stay here at night we'll sort it out it's all good like just being nice about it oh my gosh um but Guinevere had rebuked Lancelot and been like screw you and and so Lancelot's just like I don't know why she's mad at me I just came to rescue her I'm gonna go find uh Gwen because he hasn't shown up yet he like came through a different bridge but he's not around so Lancelot while he's gone Guinevere hears this false rumor that he has died and she's just like oh no he died and and like he died and I was angry with him but like really I love him this is terrible wait I wish I could tell him how I feel how does she just love him I don't get it uh, well, they like obviously know each other. Oh, okay. And you know what else isn't clear? Because he comes back, right? Lancelot comes back. And then Guinevere confesses to him that she was mad at him because he hesitated for two seconds before jumping into the cart to come get her. How does she? And like, how the fuck does she figure that yeah. out? <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Old story okay. discrepancy is fine. Okay. Yeah. I was like, wait, where did the part where they met and fell in love happen? <laughs> How did I miss that? <laughs> I think they, they they already knew each other because remember, like Lancelot somehow through the grapevine hears True. that she's kidnapped mm. and he is just racing before everybody else, racing to go get her. He's this unknown knight. So okay. I don't know. Maybe they met under the cover of darkness, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Um, so, so he's just like, yeah, I, I like hesitated for two seconds, but I did it. And I lost all my honor by doing this. Like, come on, give me a break. And she's just like, you're right. I thought you died and it broke my heart. So like, let's get into bed. Whoa. (laughs) Now remember Lancelot's been fighting a bunch of people and like trying to rescue her. So he's all cut up and he's got some blood on her sheets. And the next morning people see blood on the sheets and they accuse Meliagant accuses Guinevere of adultery and to defend her honor Lancelot is like no I will fight you and King Badmagu stops the battle and he's just like can you like just not do this right now like maybe in a year's time you can do this in Arthur's court and you know Arthur's Arthur's citizens at this point are freed and they're able to leave Gore and return to Camelot and so there is this this time for like a year from now 
I don't know, maybe Meliagon was a really bad fighter and that's why his dad was just like, no, don't don't kill my son now. Give him a fighting chance to become really good at stuff. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so that's the first half of the narrative and it really centers on Guinevere's imprisonment. The second half is kind of driven by Lancelot's incarceration because they're looking for Gawain. Um, Lancelot is tricked by this devious dwarf who's a henchman of Meliagon who takes him captive uh, because there was some fake letter. Mm-hmm. A fake letter was also sent from Lancelot to Guinevere insisting she return to Arthur's court where she'll find him. So like she leaves to go back home. Uh, Lancelot's party found finds Gawain who was also fooled by some weird letter. So those two are taken captive by Meliagon's henchmen. Guinevere goes home. Once they get home, they realize that the other two have been kidnapped. And then that starts this whole other thing to get them back. Oh, my gosh. Okay? Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's a saga. It's a, it's a real saga. The main point of this is that, <laughs> I don't have to go into too much more detail because it's, it's, it's longer. The main point of this is that Lancelot and Guinevere hook up. And it's the first time that this narrative is explored. Right. And this this is like a very damaging and, and incriminating towards Guinevere. It elaborates that theme of adultery. Mm-hmm. And this is then kind of like raised to its pinnacle of courtly love, courtly love by Sir Thomas Mallory. Courtly love. <laughs> in La Mort d'Arthur. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and then like she becomes this condemned queen and a fallen woman as the story progresses through time with each rendition. Guinevere becomes blamed for the fall of Camelot and is like just this horrible thing. Do you think this is all rooted in a bunch of people being pissed that there was a real powerful queen at one point and trying to like repress the stories that she kind of put forward to be written? Do you you know what I'm saying? Oh, in terms of like, um, like if we Eleanor look at the, or, yeah, or sorry, Marie, Eleanor of Aquitaine, the queen. yeah. So she's the one the that queen. kind of yeah, and then Marie. create these romantic narratives. Do you think the degradation of Guinevere's character over time is like men trying to like repress? The- I don't know if it's specifically to re- repress the story of like the the story that the queen told or if it's just simply trying to repress women period yeah and and turning women because you know in later versions of all of these arthurian stories where women have a role to play they are blamed <laughs> for the fall of camelot yeah. each and every woman who is once seen as a positive or just like non-consequential non-non-sequential non-consequential i don't know someone of of unimportance relatively like someone unimportant in the grand scheme of things has been elevated and then shit on yeah yeah it's very interesting (laughs) it's very very interesting yeah it's like these guys wouldn't have gotten into this shit if it wasn't for these women but also they couldn't control themselves with these women (laughs) Yeah, and and it's so interesting, too, that, like, Guinevere is always seen as this, like, prize. And and there's so many contenders and suitors that are trying to come after her. And and she's no longer 
a master of her own destiny. And so when she does kind of take things into her own hands or she tries to, that Mm -hmm. doesn't bode well either. And again, I mean, it it is in the name. Yes, it's in her name that she spells out bad news. And Arthur is warned against her from Merlin and like all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. But in just the very first mention of her in in the original story, um, there's no adultery. There is no Lancelot. Yeah. Like he's he's not a thing. He doesn't exist. She's just a queen. Interesting. So interesting. She's just a queen. And like the reality is like she was probably a noble. Uh, sc- some scholars actually believe that she was a Pictish noble. Oh. And also in that case, that in terms of like the, mm-hmm. yeah, in terms of like having um, multiple partners, because there are some cases where it's just like, you know, like Pictish nobles, it was, there were traditions that were accepted to the ancient Picts and to Roman society, which were then socially abhorrent by the period of the Roman or of the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. when Arthurian legend really begins to flower. Mm-hmm. So medieval chroniclers assume the worst and take meetings out of context. So maybe there was this oral tradition of her having a second lover, but that actually, though it was more uncommon for women to do that, it was acceptable in Pictish society for noble women to have more than one partner. And if we look at that history, if we look at that history between the Picts and uh, the Britons and the Saxons, mm-hmm. they're still considered like an invading kind of nation at that point. And it seems as though mm-hmm. the Britons, like as a people, were not really happy about anybody that was kind of being brought in through like marriage or whatever. So maybe that could also be why if she was if she was from like Pictish society maybe like that's mm-hmm. why people would consider her like bad news right out of the gate right because there's already already this yeah. huge history between them that's like not necessarily good exactly interesting yeah I thought it was kind of interesting and I think that it totally explains you know if there was a Lancelot Mm-hmm. If there if there was a Lancelot, I don't necessarily know that Guinevere would not have been allowed to do that. Yeah. By the time all of these medieval writers are are doing stuff, then it's a totally different scene. Right. And, and they're adding their own narrative of the time into it, right? Exactly. Because at that point, all of a sudden, it's not okay for women to have more than one husband. Sure, mm-hmm. men can. This is honestly... Taking it back to that Camelot show, that French show I was watching with Michael, like <laughs> I watched an episode. So they're very short. The first, like people, anybody that's in France and has lived here for a while will have probably watched the show. It's quite famous. They're short. They're like mm-hmm. seven minutes long, right? So we thought it would be yeah. a good exercise for me. They get longer as the show goes on, but at the beginning, they're really yeah. short. But what it shows reoccurringly is Arthur with all of his mistresses. And there's an episode that's dedicated <laughs> to like a funny, quite casual conversation around him taking on a new mit- a mistress. And as I've been telling you outside of recording, I've been in a bit of a mood this week. Like I'm just like not necessarily <laughs> here for it. And the one episode, this particular episode, I like really, it was, it bothered me that it was just so nonchalant. And I was telling Michael, like if the Arthurian legend is, 
the the one we kind of know the most is that Arthur was really in love with Guinevere and then Guinevere betrays him. But ultimately Mm -hmm. Arthur has her up on this like pedestal and you kind of feel bad for him and this whole thing between her and Lancelot. And I was like, but this show is kind of like integrating this whole thing about all of these mistresses and stuff. And it seems just like very kind of like a French cliche because, you know, there's yeah. all these cliches in France around, like, affairs and this and that. And, the other thing. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I don't like how they're just making, like, casual fun of that. And we got into, like, this yeah. whole debate around this, like, a, a debate that lasted an hour around a seven-minute show. <laughs> Interesting. But I think I think it's because, like, it, I think part of what was bothering me was kind of, like, what you just kind of alluded to there is that idea that, like, that Guinevere in the story, she becomes very vilified for this one affair. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, we have these um, adaptations where, you know, like it's just completely normal for the king to be having seven. Yeah. Seven mistresses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's weird. You know, it's anyway, <laughs> just reminded me of that. It's another example of patriarchy, but. <laughs> I knew there was a reason it was bothering me. I couldn't put my finger on it because I also have major fog brain right now, but I knew there was a reason why it was bothering me. <laughs> um, there's also some, like some scholars kind of have theories that Guinevere's character and the circumstances around her symbolize a deeper meaning than just like entertainment for the courts in medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. Some say that Guinevere is like a Celtic Persephone who, like the Greek goddess, dies and then is reborn through her abduction and rescue. So you see that cycle again, mm-hmm. um, which which kind of shows up in a bunch of tales following Chrétien's and that her infidelity is reminiscent of an ancient fertility goddess. And in that way, she can't be held to the same standards as mortals. You right. can't judge her too much. You have to actually admire her for being true to her divine self in a culture which expected women to constantly conform to the desires of men. It's so funny. When I was growing up, I had a big uh, book of paintings and Guinevere and Lancelot were my first um, that I can recall, like my first connection to the Arthurian legends. They were um, these Mm -hmm. beautiful Renaissance paintings of them. Mm. And I always thought it was so romantic, the two of them not understanding the full backstory (laughs) at all. And it's just, it's, it's so interesting, but like, so uh, the question I was going to ask you earlier is then what, what become, what becomes of Arthur and Guinevere after this, this one time that they hook up, like what happened? Oh, she goes back and um, Arthur rescues like, and the rest of the knights, they rescue Gawain and Lancelot and then, Lancelot and Meliagon fight and, you know, he kills them. And then bit by bit, Lancelot, because Arthur doesn't know that this happens, um, Gowan kind of vouches for him and bit by bit he earns his favor and, you know, eventually becomes one of the most noble, brave knights. Kind of becomes like Arthur's right-hand man almost, right? Doesn't he? Kind of, yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. The plot thickens. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. And then back to like Guinevere kind of being a goddess. There's there's this 
There's also, there's so many theories. There's so many like theories that scholars have come up with about this stuff. There's one theory that the goddess of sovereignty of Ireland, Ire, mm. is, and this is apparently supported by the Welsh tradition that Arthur was married to three different Guinevere's. Oh, I heard about that. Like Guinevere yeah. is, yeah, Guinevere is this this goddess Ire, of a uh, goddess of sovereignty of Ireland. And yeah, Arthur was married to three different Guinevere's, which then tri- are, correspond to the triple formed Celtic goddess. And the three Guinevere's are mirror images of this Celtic goddess. So you have Ire, Banba, and Fadla of Ireland. And these abductions represent different temporal rules trying to hold sovereignty, which cannot be claimed by a single monarch, but belongs to the people. Mm-hmm. Like, which... <laughs> is a lot is a lot so like yeah. if you a lot of scholars have been like okay all of this stuff from the middle ages is fine Chrétien de Troyes, writing it it's just like a fanciful thing but let's remember that this was oral tradition and oral mm. tradition often does have a lot of deeper meaning to it than just that and so while the affair might have just been written in and and that may be the fancy of a queen Guinevere as a character herself, there might have been a lot more oral tradition that gave her a lot more depth and richness of character than what we're getting from what's actually been written down. Right. Okay. Oh, it's too bad. I mean, like, I I completely understand not wanting to, like, write things down, but it's it's (laughs) kind of too bad because there's so much we missed out on because of that. Yeah. 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 And then I mentioned again, like, you know, there's that Cathar belief that she's the goddess Sophia of wisdom. So like, I feel almost like this is one area where I'm just like, I honestly, again, feel like that blonde chick doing the math meme. Like I can't, I, I have yet to freaking understand <laughs> how, like, cause later on in this show, in, in this uh, season, we're going to get into uh, the Holy Grail. Cause that's like a huge part of the Arthurian legend. Yeah and the crusades and um you know like mm-hmm. you and i have touched on it in passing in this in this podcast but like i live in this area that was like the stronghold mm-hmm. for the cathars like way back when and i always think that i'm getting an understanding and then i'm like shit there's something i've missed or something i don't know and this whole sophia element i I don't know. I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't know about that part. But it does make sense because we know that the Cathars were like um, equalists. So they did have mm-hmm. male and male representation in preaching. So it would make sense that they would have that yes. in the gods, as, in God as well. Um, yeah, it totally, totally does. And and this is why they were slaughtered, right? Like this is a big part of the reason that they were slaughtered yeah. is they have like this duality and this, this belief in duality, but women were pretty equal to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. And they were flat that, out equal in their community. That could not stand. So a lot of the Cathars were opposed to the, the church and, and they claimed that they were corrupt. They also claimed that most of the Bible was written by Satan. And that, oh, that's yeah, their whole the clergy was just like corrupt hypocrites. That's their whole belief. So their whole be- they're so they're technically Christians. Um, they are like technically Catholic Christians, but they believed that this was actually like this earth was hell, and uh, because because of all of the bad things that happened, and they actually believed that the church was run by like the Catholic Church at the time 
was like completely um, orchestrated by the devil. And yeah, like Bible written by the devil, so on and so forth. And actually, Monsigur, which is like in the department that I live in, there is a legend connected to this. So at this point, it's a ruin. It's a ruin of what looks like a castle, but what was actually a fortress. And when there was the Cathar, 200 Cathars were burned at the stake in this spot. Um, It was before what looks like the fortress is there because we kind of see that same thing with the Arthurian legends where they start to produce things after the stories that would add to the stories. Mm -hmm. But anyways, the whole thing is that there was a village of Cathar people there and they say that this is where the Holy Grail was. And that's kind of what makes it a big tourist attraction (laughs) here where I live. I'm actually taking people there on my tour next May, <laughs> but I still don't, <laughs> I don't still don't have the dots connected on how, like how we get the grail in, in the UK and how we get it here. I I, I know that there's the grail is all over Europe. Okay. Like we, we've Ooh. kind of talked, we've touched upon oh. like the grail is everywhere, you know, <laughs> but, but, but to like bring it back to the Cathars and Guinevere, because there's there's a lot of scholars that believe that this courtly love poetry story, they're allegorical representations of the heretical sect of Cathars who flourished where you're living now when they were writing. So like the Cathars hated the Catholic clergy. They thought that they were all a bunch of corrupt hypocrites who cared more about being rich and pleasure than actually helping and serving others. Mm-hmm. So central to the Cathar belief was their, the belief in a goddess Sophia named or like the goddess named Sophia or wisdom. And scholars argue that the love poetry expressed in this the Guinevere is Sophia and the knight Lancelot is this devout Cathar who serves her and is trying to protect her and rescue her from the abductor which is the church good grief sometimes yeah. sometimes <laughs> life just blows my mind hole wide open because never when we said <laughs> let's investigate and look into the Arthurian <laughs> legends no way, shape, or form. Like I've made jokes about it perpetually through this series, how so many things tie back to France and then so many things tie mm-hmm. back to the, the fucking area I live in right now. And that's weird to me, but never did I expect <laughs> this. And to hit so close to yeah. home too, never did I. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Like technically I, I can kind of see like um, Breton, like Brittany in France. I can see how that could be connected to everything. Um, but that's sure. quite far away from us. Even Eleanor of Aquitaine. Aquitaine I mean, is a department now, not so far away from us. Yeah, but us. people still traveled a lot. Like let's, we, we say it's far away, but like yeah, they were right. well, people have people been well-traveled for a really long time. Yeah, like they're really well traveled. So, so yeah, Guinevere is Sophia. She's being held by Arthur, who's like this defender of the church. Meliagon is the church. She's rescued by Lancelot, who's a Cathar, and he's just bound by his devotion to the lady. Good grief! Like, so there's a little. What do you think? Guinevere as a goddess. Did the chicken never? I didn't expect that. Did the chicken or the egg come here? Like, I feel like this Cathar thing is maybe like infused. I don't know. I'd have to look at the dates. Man, what a 
freaking I had no idea we were going he- heading there. Holy smokes. Well, yeah, when when Chrétien de Troyes was writing, that was the time of the Cathars okay. and like persecution. So like it could be an allegorical story. It could just be a woman, a queen writing about her own experience of like feeling kind of trapped or bored and imagining what it'd be like to be swept off her feet. Maybe she was. And it could also be a lot of legends coming into play and then men looking at it later. And this is more so after Chrétien looking at it later and being like, oh, it's disgusting. She had more than one husband. How she, how can she do that? And and she was just like a Pictish lady where that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I don't really know what Guinevere is. I don't know if she is the goddess-like character. I've wondered. I've wondered if... this for a long time. I've noticed that, like, in, you know, we'll go back to that neo-paganism conversation from last a couple seasons ago, but I've noticed that she has been depicted as, like, a goddess, and I always was a little bit confused mm-hmm. as to that, uh, of that, because I didn't know that Arthurian legends had trans, had kind of, like, developed into that stage of mythology where we're looking at them as like mm-hmm. deities, but actually I guess that's mu- that must be where that is coming from. That is so interesting. Yeah. And remember what I said at the beginning of recording this, I was in love with Guinevere when I was little and I wanted to name my daughter Guinevere. And it's actually one of the names. It's I, such a pretty name. It's like spelt the way it's spelt for her in the stories. I love it. And yeah. it's one of, but it has to be Guinevere, not Gwen for the record. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's one of the names I actually <laughs> like toted to Michael when we were talking about like children's names. I was like, this was like the dream oh my gosh. of my child. <laughs> oh my God. But I, I don't. Guinevere and Isadora and Tegan and Michael. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know. Don't even get me started. Isadora. <laughs> don't even get me started. That's Tegan's cat. Yeah, that's my cat. <laughs> She t- and and not to sound totally nuts, but she totally told me her name herself. Like I didn't pick it for her. That's just the name that was presented. Uh, but also, I don't even want to get. I haven't looked into it to enough. This is just a theory I have. But my name Tegan, like it's very close to the Welsh name for the Fae. Aww. Like it's got some, it's got very similar spelling. Like like a bunch of that's cool. Like especially the T E G part like yeah I'll, sh- I'll send you the word later you'll see it's like not <laughs> similar but also michael michael is like the archangel michael which is like even my friend one of my friends here who's very very into like the christian like pagan lore she always calls him like her her michael like her saint michael kind of you know what i mean <laughs> It's it's fucking weird. Michael is a bit of a saint. He's <laughs> such a good dude. <laughs> he really is. He's such a nice man. I don't He's know. so kind. Life, life is weird. <laughs> I definitely would never be a person to like. I would never. I would never cast us as any type of people in some ultimate story or anything. But it's just weird. Co- the coincidences are strange <laughs> and bizarre, and especially the way things circle back around. And I. I'm like, how the fuck did I end up here? You know, anyways, another story for another time. <laughs> um, I think 
that does it for today. I don't know that there's much more to say. Basically, I learned a lot and I became way more confused as a result. Yeah, that's how this <laughs> I have more whole, questions this than I did. <laughs> I mean, I think that I, in, when I was reading a bit about Lancelot, which I mean, I don't think I went as deep into it as you did, but I did note, I did note some other parts of the story to him that happened later. But mm-hmm. I think it's more around the Grail. So, like, maybe we'll like touch back. On yeah. That because there's like the whole thing with Galahad as well and like yeah yeah, and that brings us back to the lady of the lake and you know there's more to come it's all interconnected it's weird you've got to break it down into parts but ultimately yeah (laughs) it's all it's all it's all a hodgepodge now I understand the mysticism that that gets cast on these stories because even trying to look at it from an analytical sense you can't help but walk away from it a bit mystified (laughs) It's, I, yeah, I, 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 you know? I was having a really hard time with the research and I told Kale somewhere so, several times where I was just like, I'm just not feeling it. And I think it's because I left confused and befuddled every time I tried to research, you know, I'd be like, but, but, but really okay. sure how I'm so Why? happy to hear you say that because <laughs> this is also, and I was like, I'm just dumb. Like, I just don't get, I, to me, you've been so good and I've been so shit and I've been so stressed out about the research around this because no. I feel like I'm walking out of it exactly like that. Like, I think I know what I'm getting into and I have no idea. And I'm just sitting there praying that you filled in the other half because I don't. <laughs> and, but it, it has happened this way and it has worked out this way. It has because I've felt this way, too, where I was just like, we're going into recording these two episodes today and I honestly like just hope that Tegan's able to like do the other bit because I don't know yeah and that's exactly how I was feeling uh, honestly but like for the reverse thing so okay something's working in our favor on this like I said maybe, maybe we just have to take this with a sense of befuddlement and bewilderment and like this is why people dedicate their entire studies to studying these legends yeah. because there's like a lot of freaking nuances and 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 a lot of big it's a lot, a lot of big words a lot of welsh words it's oh my gosh yeah it's just <laughs> it was hard i had a hard time i'm not gonna lie well i'm send, uh, i'm sending you a hug from across the ocean because me too but honestly same honestly <laughs> it's actually almost relieving for me to you say that just doing our best (laughs) and I think about how enthusiastic we were when we were like yes let's do the Arthurian legends and that was yeah that was real dumb real dumb (laughs) and it wasn't like that long ago and already we're like what the fuck We're like halfway through. Yeah, um, I know. I know. Maybe Peter will be our saving grace. Maybe we'll have him on for the last episode. Yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna reach out. Peter's like a friend of mine who's a dancer from Chicago, but he has a really big interest in Arthurian legends. And with that, let's wrap it because the reality is, yes. we would love to have guests on the show if uh, that are interested in the topics that we're covering. So again, we love 
having people submit ideas for things that we should cover. And we would also love to have some guests come in and share their passion for uh, these kinds of stories and topics too. So if you want to be involved in that any in any way, shape or form, you can reach out to us at the allegory story podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the allegory story podcast. It's pretty much the allegory story podcast, like no matter, no matter. I thought it was just a allegory story. No, the, did I say the? My bad. It's yeah. Allegory story podcast, but it's the same across the board. <laughs> oh yeah, my bad. Sure, it's the same across, across the, the board. The. Give them the wrong address. Anyways, yeah, there's no the. <laughs> it's allegory story podcast across the board. Find us on Instagram. Hit us up on and uh, at Gmail, um, and and let us know and let us know what you'd like to hear from us and let us know if you want to come on and talk about the the thing that you're you know, like your allegory that you're very interested in because I'm sure we would love yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sweet. And with that, we'll be um, back with another episode Go continuing down this rabbit hole, seeing <laughs> no end in sight <laughs> and praying for the We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, we'll see you next time. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Have a wonderful evening. Bye. Day, whatever. <laughs> Bye.